Hey everyone, and welcome back to an original series, the podcast celebrating our favorite shows behind the paywall. I am, of course, your host, Patch, and back with me for episode three of the season one of Invincible is my best friend, Aaron. Hey, buddy. Yo, yo, yo. Are you pretty jazzed that we got to see like a training montage of like like auditions? If we're jumping episode? ahead, yeah. I mean, that is maybe my favorite scene in the whole episode. I, it's my I, favorite it's too. We'll go ahead and say that. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it's so much fun. Tons of different characters, great music, a lot of great needle drops and background songs in this episode. Good. Very good stuff, man. Yeah, we're excited about uh, getting into that. So let's just go ahead and rock right in. Got another cold open to start us off with. We're opening up with humans and superheroes coming to a funeral for the Guardians of the Globe, keynoted by the Honorable Omni-Man. Yeah, right. Now, this is like you're throwing shade without people knowing that you're throwing shade. Did you get a little bit of like BVS vibes from this where you got the dual funeral going on you got like the public and the private i feel like there's a little bit of love being thrown here at at bvs or maybe bvs stole it from invincible since we're talking about a comic book before the movie came out but this dual dual funeral thing was uh was kind of neat there it, it was really cool i thought it was it was definitely shot in the similar tone to bvs it's dark i don't remember i don't think it's raining in the invincible one but it it feels like overcast and it's at night it's not like they're in the middle of the daytime and it's sunny outside um and they just feel very thematically similar and it and it's interesting i thought seeing omni-man give his speech in which he says some really cool things so he says you will have moments of doubt of fear of uncertainty But in those moments, have faith and look to the sky. And that is definitely like a Zack Snyder-esque like line. Dude, I keep writing this in my notes every week. Is he actually responsible for their deaths? I am still not convinced 100%. I need, (laughs) I'm not convinced he's a bad guy. Let me put it that way. I want to believe for some reason that there is, a method to his madness that there is a reason behind what has taken place so far. And yeah, I thought that it was interesting getting these two different funerals and specifically just the reason for the two funerals, because it makes perfect logical sense. Mm -hmm. You don't want the public to know where they're buried. You know, that that's very true. And uh, for the record, it was raining at the private funeral, but not at the public one. It was nice and bright. Uh, you had the missing very man formation. Yes. Yeah. The phantasm even. Very. Thing. Yeah, absolutely. And and I asked the same question. I, I wonder if he really felt like he had to kill the guardian. So it's a variant on your question that did he actually do it? No, I think he actually did because we saw him, you know, squeeze dude's face till it like pop like a pimple. But I kind of wonder, was he possessed by someone? Is he in his right mind? Is he controlled by his race of people? I don't know. But I'm like you. I feel somewhat optimistic because of the fact that we're set up with sort of this weird tonal shift in how he is in some places and how he's not in others. But both the public and the private funeral seem to indicate that he does have respect for the Guardians. And so 
on the surface, I felt like, yeah, that's whatever. But somewhere deep inside, I'm like, maybe he does feel this way. But then after we get done with that, we're back to the Grayson home. Now, before that happens, we have this really interesting short conversation between Cecil and Robot. Didn't know that there was a connection here. He was like kind of throwing some love at him. This is like paying compliments to an AI. I don't know if you should be doing this in my opinion, but he's trying to recruit him to come to the GDA to put together a new team. We also get the moment with, uh, with your dude, your man, uh, Damien, dark, yeah, dark blood, dark, dark horse. Yeah. Dark blood. Damien, dark, dark blood. blood. Put some respect yeah. on the demon's name. My bad. You know, there's so many, like, <laughs> there's so many alliterations in this series already. I'm just like, <laughs> Hellboy, uh, yeah, Redux or whatever. Um, I did notice when he shows up that the air changes. So, I, I meant to point this out in the first two episodes that you can tell when he shows up because you see the breath of whoever's talking. And I'm like, oh, what a great, like, nonchalant way to show Damien showing up. That's just great. I didn't notice it until, for the first time, the last scene in this specific episode when he shows up at a house. And it's very obvious at that point that the air has changed. And I noticed the breath and then the somewhat of the freezing, almost like icicles, uh, not, mm-hmm. not fully. It's like more like a frost um, that kind of yeah. accompanies him on surfaces. But I, I thought that was a really cool touch as well. He shows up and it really pisses Omni-Man off because of what he's insinuating. So we have this like emotionally like varied guy in the form of Nolan from the funeral to this moment and then now we're at the Grayson home and he's like, who wants pizza? I can be to Italy and back before the cheese melts. I'm kind of like his wife. I'm like, really, dude, you just came from a funeral. How are you happy? And I'm like, because he's kind of psychotic, maybe, or he doesn't, or he's possessed. I don't know what is going on with this dual minded dude. Nevertheless, Mark is upset about all that's happened. You know, this is a big deal for him. He's lost all these heroes and he can't really talk about it. That that's kind of the big thing with him and something I didn't think about. If you're a superhero, you have to hide the the remorse that you feel for the loss of a fallen fellow superhero. You can't just feel like, Oh, it's a sad day when Superman dies, we can all cry. But you know, if you're Lois or if you're his mom, then yes, you're going to feel that way because you know, all these other little components there. And I, I'm glad they brought that up. I'm glad that that was sort of like a reminder to me that, Oh, yeah. Mark's feeling vulnerable. His dad makes a good point. He says, look, you've got to keep your superhero life and your emotions separate from everything else. And he basically sums it up by saying, you need to keep that separate. What happens out there, the mistakes, even the victories, you can't bring it home. In that great Nolan voice of his. So he says, well, I'm going to go to my room. I absolutely loved this moment with Nolan, his wife, because his wife calls him out. She says that she says, we just came from your friend's funeral. Co-workers. And you're talking about pizza and telling Mark not to feel anything? This is the life. Mark has to learn that. What if Mark and I were burying you today? I'm not so easy to kill. Yeah, well, I'm sure that's what Red Rush told Olga. Hey, he could run fast, okay? It's not exactly one of your premier superpowers. And he's so nonchalant about these deaths. It's just completely, like, tone deaf. And I wonder if his wife is thinking like maybe something's off with Nolan or if this has been their relationship for the longest time. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's just good character development that we're getting from this show. It's not all superhero fights and action. It's a consistent focus on building the relationships 
between these family members, whether it's them and their son individually, them and their son as a couple, whether it's, you know, Nolan and his wife. And, and I love those moments as well. One thing I didn't love, by the way, is the ridiculous invincible like title card. So, oh, just the like the uh, sudden because he's in the middle of a sentence. He's like, you'd almost think we're not invincible and it pops invincible like mark is like saying a sentence and talking about something and invincible was going to be the next word he was going to say and instead it cuts and puts it up there and i I rolled my eyes so loudly the neighbors heard them like it was (laughs) like come on like i am not getting over the name invincible i just cannot stand it i hate it so much sorry well you know this is what's going to happen like every episode's going to have that kind of odd which I mean, it did in the second episode. Yes. Yeah. And this was told me by IMDb trivia, but something to notice that every episode, a little bit more blood splatters onto the title guard. So by the end of the first That's season, I, I don't know if we're going to even see the word at that point, but we'll see. So just keep an eye out for that, along with when are they going to surprise us with them? You know what it reminded me of, Aaron? It reminded me of the title card for The Cabin in the Woods. Like the just the, yeah, the jump scare, like true. right yeah. then. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, we're in Mark's bedroom. He's on a phone call with uh, this girl Amber, who is his like crush. I love this scene because of how obviously aware she is. She says, "A study date. Well played. Safe and responsible. No pressure, but with potential for things to move to the next level." Smooth. Uh, <laughs> she's so completely aware of what he's doing that it makes her more attractive. Like she's not doting on him. She clearly likes him, but she's not in this place where she doesn't feel confident. Like she's very confident in who she is. And I, I really dig how she knows what's going on. And it really puts him at ease. That's the other thing is that he's like, okay, I can, I can be myself. I think I can be myself. And this this is the kind of girl that I would have wanted to talk to in high school. That I wouldn't have to, you know, do the whole script where she was like, I know the script. Let's just skip past that. We know what's going on. When would you like me to come over to have a study date? I like the uh the Captain Obvious stuff with her. Yeah, I think that they just make a great couple. I mean, very they're very interesting high school meet, meet cute type of situation. I mean, he's he is extremely awkward for a teenager a, a normal awkward like not weirdly awkward like not he's, he's natural that is how people act <laughs> when they're having a chance to talk to a girl maybe for the first yeah. time you know and i think you get that sense that he's not comfortable and necessarily familiar with this and she is very comfortable and familiar uh, with this and so it's makes it fun and and interesting to watch them sort of try and find a middle ground as they explore this beginning of a relationship together. Yeah. And I don't mean like they're together together cause they're not right. Know, well, maybe by the end they're, they're kind of together, but, <laughs> uh, but, um, but you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah, it just, again, I think I keep going back to that word naturalistic, that, that realism, in mm-hmm. all of the depictions of everything that has to do with anything that's not superhero strictly related in this show feels lived in. It feels relatable. 
in a way that Absolutely. most superhero movies just never can catch that yeah. vibe. Would you be okay if the title card said relatable, like randomly, instead of invincible? Relatable would be a worse superhero name. <laughs> I, yeah. I'd, I'm just, I really hope that this is going somewhere. I don't know, but I mean, I trust so far in the writing that it could potentially be leading me to some sort of a moment that's going to make up for the corniness of it. It's so obviously corny. Like, isn't there a moment in this episode? I think there is where there's a specific joke that is made about making bad jokes, right? Yes. Bad puns. And 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 so it feels like he's so self-aware of that, that he couldn't possibly be doing this without it purposeful. Yeah. Having a reason. So I just, it's gotta, but maybe so. Yeah. It's very much a misdirection for sure. Like this, the pilot, the first episode was very much a misdirection. So I'm I'm kind of on my misdirection toes right now, waiting for something to happen. Something that I didn't expect to happen was the next scene where Eve flies into Teen Team HQ and she finds Rex in the shower with multiple versions of Kate. So she was not happy. And he was like, dude, I don't know. I don't even, I don't even, they're not even the real Kate. And then we're at the Pentagon. Uh, which I think we've confirmed this is because it said Pentagon. We're so I'm gonna, yeah, <laughs> okay, I, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I call it superhero HQ of some <laughs> guy, but yes, it's the Pentagon. Uh, so the government is definitely involved here. Invincible's impressed with the insane amount of superheroes getting ready to try out for the Guardians of the Globe. And as we mentioned before, this is probably both of our favorite scenes. I think it's fantastic. I love that Robot is spearheading the whole thing. He wonders why Invincible, like, why are you not trying out? And he's like, I'm just, I'm not, that's not my thing. My dad wants to train me. But man, we get more superheroes. Like he names several that I don't think we'll ever see again. But the ones that stand out are, of course, the ones that get called out visibly in this fantastic montage. You've got this strongman guy going up against a wasp-esque person. We find out later, Shrinking Ray. Uh, We have an ape a guy in a super suit, which we find out is Black Samson. And I love how these guys battle. I love how I love the voice narration for robots sort of talking about the heroes we're looking for. They need to be strong. They need to be fast. He, he talks about how they're looking for a distinct group that has all these qualifications. Not only are they capable of being. I wrote them down. It's it's tactics, okay. Okay. adaptability, agility of the mind, and most importantly, the strength of character and spirit. And I it, the way it plays out as he's saying it, it was like just one of my favorite lines of dialogue in the entire episode. I thought it was great. It was so great to see how it led up to his introduction of these characters. And again, talking about misdirection, we think, okay, and now the cap on this is going to be, who are the new members of the Guardians? And so he lists the ones that we mentioned, but then he stops at Monster Girl because Rex decides to get a big mouth And then she claps back talking about making dick jokes to him. Then they go battle in like the war room. It's just so hilarious watching him just get pummeled. And he has to have Invincible come in and basically rescue him. And by the end of it, she's like, sorry, dude, when people just throw that whole little girl thing at me, I get a little crazy. So I apologize. He's like, it's okay. I'm I'm going. He's not a superhero. He's Gambit. He can make fireworks. So don't give crap to other people that don't have superpowers because you're not much better, dude. But I loved how this scene played out. 
where he finally says, yeah, okay, I guess, I guess we're good. And so we're finally introduced to all these. Um, and then Adam Eve, who then says deuces, I don't want to be a part of this. Yeah. It's such a fun scene. I mean, just anytime we get a great number of heroes on screen doing different things, it's exciting. The, the more, the merrier. Although I do think that it's a rather large team overall. I was like, he's still going when he was listing off names. It's like, this is a really big amount of people. I bet, I guess if you think about like the justice league, it's what? Eight, seven. That's right? seven. I think. Yeah. Cause yeah. you the seven. So one, two, three, four, five, six and counting robot seven. So I guess there are seven uh, on this team as well. And so I mean, yeah. what's that? Yeah. Cause invincible not on it technically, but it it was interesting watching the different you know powers and seeing how they could be effective against each other and so you find that you're looking for that balance of strengths that gives you options and flexibility within your team dynamics and i i just still don't understand what rex has to offer in any capacity in this show other than being the butt of jokes because he's an idiot like he he just yeah. continually gets worse We've we've established you and I think he's the worst superhero. Like he his powers, you just call them fireworks, which is hilarious. <laughs> That's what it was to Monster Girl. She's like, oh, that was cute. Um, <laughs> but like he he doesn't really have a value there, and he's a jerk. You know, like I just don't know where his value is, and I, I'm very interested to see where his story is going. I could easily see him turning at some point to the dark side uh, yeah. because of whatever reason he just has that innate sort of personality trait. Yeah. He reminds me a lot of, um, I think it's tor human torch, not human torch, but, um, whatever his name was from X two, the guy with the flame, like Johnny storm um, is, is a human torch. Is it Johnny storm? That's the, human no, he's torch. a fantastic. Okay. No, it wasn't him. You're he, not he had thinking you're pyro thinking pyro. X-Men. Yeah. X-Men. Yeah. X two. Yeah. That's what's that X two. Not fantastic Four. I knew that. But I was trying to remember what he yeah, Pyro. I feel like he's the equivalent of that, where he's sort of this jer- jerk and he could get turned by a Magneto esque. I also think he's more than capable of being a sacrificial lamb at some point because I don't see him as having any kind of long term value. I think what traditionally would happen is he and Eve would finally make up before he sacrifices himself and then like he leaves on a good note or. Like you said, he goes to the dark side and then maybe finds redemption or, or something like that. I don't know. In any case, you're right. He is the weakest link of this group. After a quick sky montage of Eve telling Invincible that Rex cheated on her, which I know he's not really uh, sad about necessarily, we're back at the Pentagon where Robot's briefing the team about expectations. Rex, of course, is not keen on that. Shocker. And Black Samson kind of puts himself in the position of like, you need a leader. You need someone who's been a part of this. This is a really fun scene because we find out two key pieces of information. First of all, Black Samson used to be a member of the Guardians. Like he was an original member, like an OG. And at some point he lost his powers. That's interesting. If he becomes a main you know, centerpiece of the show, I'd love to hear more about that backstory and then we find out that Monster Girl's power 
is that she actually turns a little bit younger the more that she transforms. I thought that was kind of cool. Awesome. So I was going to ask you, among all these different superheroes that we're getting introduced to, we already have a few from Teen Team. Do you like these new additions and the powers and stuff like that? Do they intrigue you a little bit? I love them all except for Rex. There's <laughs> he's, he, Everybody except for Rex. Even Duplicate, who herself, herself was not exactly doing the right thing by cheating on uh by cheating with rex when she knew he was with adam i think they all offer something interesting like you just described the backstories make it intriguing monster girls specifically has a certain tragicness to it and you know and a finality to it as well i would say that is really really interesting because you can only go back so far like you can only get so young and so how long is the show going to go? How many times is she going to have to transform? And how many times can she do this before she gets to an age that she is incapable of living a normal life in between or whatever? So it's, yeah, it's just really interesting. She's like, I'm actually 24 years old. Uh, you know, people used to call me Monster Woman. And now yeah. they're calling me Monster Girl. <laughs> so not only from an emotional standpoint and made it completely understandable why she would lash out at Rex for his comments... But just I'm really intrigued for the long haul as to how this is going to play out. Like I said, unlike anybody else, there's a an end date on her that everybody else doesn't have to necessarily deal with. Yeah, a little half-life for, mm -hmm. for Monster Girl. That's a great way to put it, yes. Yeah. Two things to note here. One, when Robot's talking to Duplicate, he says Prime is not here. So there's a there's a there there are three of them. And they never say where she is. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Maybe that's nothing. Uh, again, with the misdirection is kind of taken over. I feel like everything means something. And also that you have this shot of Omni-Man hovering above them and he goes pathetic. So I don't know what that means, <laughs> of course, and that's okay. I'll keep that mystery in my pocket just like you will. And then the uh, the show takes us to to Mark's room where William, his best friend's getting him ready for his study date, complete with... Good friend. Uh, Clean yeah, that his, room, Dad. It is gross. It is gross, yeah. The goose to his maverick is telling him, tidy up your things and get rid of the things that are embarrassing. Um, he also lets him know, I guess because he hacked into the school computer, or maybe he jokes about that, of what she's into. Spicy food, stand-up comedy... And fourth wave feminism. I don't know what that is, but that sounds really interesting. And it sounds appropriate for Amber because, you know, I feel like a character trait of fourth wave feminism is kicking bullies in the nards. So, uh, you know, she does it and good for her. Amber shows up. She's impressed that Mark is honest about his interests. He's like, look, these books uh, William told me to have, but I haven't read them. But apparently you're impressed by them, but I haven't read them. But she's like, you have comic books? I love that we get an actual comic book mention, not by name, but the description. And it's The Underwater Welder by Jeff Lemire. Amazing story. Like one of my favorite, um, I guess, limited series. And I, and I, when she said that, I was like, I, that, I think that's, and I looked it up in the trivia. I was like, yep, it's actually The Underwater Welder. The other one I think is just made up. Of course, it was given the actual title, but it's cool. But they're interrupted by a call which is, I didn't notice this until the second time I watched it, that he turns his phone off and it still rings. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I know he does. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's why he looks at it the second time. He's like, "What? Like, I, I, I why is it still ringing?" He's confused. Yeah. <laughs> and we're like, "Who is this?" It's Cecil. Cecil has the power to call anybody on any phone or any device, whether it's on or off. So he's definitely got power beyond uh, beyond what we're we know about. He gives him assignment, an assignment to go to Mount Rushmore. Mark says, "Where is that again?" Oh my gosh. <laughs> And then Mark takes off, leaving Amber in his room. But it's a great scene. Another fun, mm-hmm. just sort of intermixed, awkward, casual date, superheroic type thing happening at once. Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot as well. All right. So now we're going to Mount Rushmore, which is in South Dakota. There's a guy named Doc Seismic who's wreaking havoc in the area. And I think Cecil describes him as he's your basic mad scientist. This whole bit of fighting was very much in the vein of Saturday morning cartoons. I thought it was a lot of fun. Anything stand out to you in this whole sequence that you liked? I just loved it. I loved the animation. I loved that they fought inside the crack of an earthquake with lava. I loved the dialogue. The great emancipator! He'll emancipate you from your lives! <laughs> Uh, just absolutely ridiculous, ridiculous dialogue in the way that is perfect. I love that his date with Amber sort of morphs into a date with Eve, which is what it actually kind of turns out. That that's a really that's a that's um, a great way to think yeah, about. It. I didn't I mean, even think about that. The that's whole fantastic. episode is yeah. interesting when you look at it as a whole and all of the different interactions with the two girls, including the very last moment where Amber sees him. Uh, I just, I love this. I thought it was earthquake gloves. Like what a cool concept. Like I just, it's awesome. I love the fact that doc seismic (laughs) (laughs) Eve calls him out because he's like ranting about politics and stuff. And he's like, and she's like, I assumed you were a geologist or something of the sort. I forgot what she (laughs) says. And he's like, no, I have a, psychology degree and something something modern dance and <laughs> yeah it's it's very liberal he has a he has a He's bachelor's degree in sociology arts. with a minor in like gender studies and something gender like studies that. is one of them it, yeah so it, was just, it was so funny yeah yeah and then also the throwaway line when cecil sends mark at the very beginning and he's like omni-man's dealing with a kaiju we need you to go to and it's just like He's doing what? He's yeah. Uh, there's a there's Godzilla in this world. What, <laughs> what is going on? So <laughs> this was just so so much. Fun. Oh, and the fact that supervillains can die that I like as well. The fact that yeah. again we come back to that mortality. We've seen it in the bloodiness earlier in the show so far, but he's coming out and, it, and he goes back down. And it's not one of those things where he just gets hurt by this massive amount of earth crushing him into lava and then they take him to jail. He's dead. (laughs) Yeah. I I think one of the things that stands out to me is invincible has, I don't, it's not a new power, but it's a variation on his power where he can make himself a drill. Like there's a moment in this scene where he actually like spins himself really fast to dig down into the crack of the earth to get, either rescue some civilians or rescue Eve or something like that. So a lot of cool stuff's on full display here. 
they're called earthquake bracelets. He makes a clear distinction. That's right. that they're not gloves. <laughs> no, that, more of the great dialogue. Gloves <laughs> have fingers, Aaron. They're earthquake bracelets. And he laughs about it. He's like, <laughs> you got earthquake bracelets, really? But I did. There was a there's a really great animation animated sequence where Invincible throws a boulder at Seismic and he does this like sideways, almost like a like a double fist guarding block with his seismic bracelets, and the things just break as they float by. I thought that was awesome. Like it's so cool. But there's also the banter and everything of like, you need to work on your one-liners. And he's like, so do I. These are I'm still learning, but more that self-awareness of like, I've got to find more of an opportunity to, you know, flesh out my superhero name. But clearly the supervillain isn't doing it as well as he should. So yeah, I thought this was um this was really, really a lot of fun. That battle's over. He rushes home and is interrupted by his dad. He's in a suit. His dad's giving him all this little advice as he's running upstairs. Like, yeah, it's good. Have the balance. You know, you need to make sure that, you know, what you want and what you need to do need. It's like this. If it didn't have, if it had music, I would have thought I should take this seriously. But what I love about this moment is that Invincible is like not even listening to him. He's like, "Mm mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. he's trying to get up the stairs because he's exactly. in his room. Yeah. He's like, yeah, this is not the time. I got to go. Yeah. I, we've all yeah. experienced this moment. Maybe not with a yeah. girl in our room waiting, but like at some point in our lives, we've all been teenagers, been like, I want to go hang out with my friends. I need to get out the door. Dad, let's go. This is not the time for a pep talk. And that's when dads want to give the pep talk. Yeah. Well, he does give him some good advice to get out of the suit before he goes back into the yeah, room where this that. girl is. And, um, Mark gets in there, apologizes to Amber, who's clearly annoyed, you know, but not so annoyed that she's ready for some good teenage loving, as we find out (laughs) a couple of scenes later. So then we're at the pier and we get that shot of the kaiju that his dad was apparently fighting. Cecil's talking to his right hand man saying, put him on ice. We don't know if he's alive. I think the kaiju is still alive, but, uh, it's a fun little little moment there to kind of show us, oh, okay, yeah, this is this does exist in this world. And then we're back at the Grayson home where Debbie's making dinner and bantering with Nolan. I love this line. Hey, don't forget, I just took down a freaking kaiju and saved the world. Your husband's a badass. Yeah, well, you're not the only badass in this family. I sold a house today that had a double homicide. I told them lightning never strikes twice. <laughs> Unbelievable. And I went, what? You did what? (laughs) She's so proud of that. But uh, yeah, she's impressed with that. So we do find out she's in real estate. So she's got a, she's got a good job there. And then um, back at Teen Team HQ, Eve is taking down photos. This is one of those needle drops, I think that you mentioned. Uh, Really great, great music. She's interrupted by fireworks. This is where I got the fireworks thing. She's like, what is that? Turns out it's from Rex. He's throwing his little coins or whatever. And he attempts to apologize. But after, you know, a few seconds, she's like, I, I no, this just can't work. And so this is their official breakup moment, I think. I don't see them getting back together. And she goes back to the Grayson home where Mark is decidedly with Amber as he's making out on the bed. And I just gotta tell you, Aaron, seeing people make out in TV shows and movies, you know, we're used to it. It's just part of filmmaking. Animated kissing is just weird. I mean, especially the sound effects. They sound really, really cheesy and just goofy when I when 
<laughs> see this happen. I couldn't take this seriously in this moment. I don't think you're supposed to. I mean, I think okay. that's the point is that it's supposed to be kind of silly and like that. Uh, I think it was cute. I thought it was funny that his apology is horrible. Like it's terrible. He's just not, he doesn't actually apologize because that's who Rex is. I like that Eve doesn't display any sort of real jealousy here. Maybe she has feelings for Mark and is interested in him or not, but all she says is good for you, Mark. And then she leaves when she was clearly coming to spend time with him and seek some sort of comfort from him in her yeah. moment. Uh, I just appreciated that response. And I also noted the sushi part uh, regarding the Kaiju earlier. I think it's one of the guys who's talking to Cecil and reporting back. And he says, really big. And one thing he, interesting, he says, that's the first time I've seen Omni-Man on the ropes like that. Also, hmm, it okay. might not be dead. Haven't seen Omni-Man on the ropes like that part was really interesting to me because either this is a threat unlike much that they've ever experienced and we're seriously need to be concerned about this kaiju that's not dead yet, or there is some sort of potential lack of power or reduction in power for Omni-Man. But for, I don't know, that stood out to me. Why would he have suddenly be struggling with this thing unless it is that powerful or he has lost something? I think it's the latter. I mean, that sounds more consistent with what we're thinking about here. And if we look at how Omni-Man has reacted to different things, it serves as sort of an MO or a motive for him to be able to kill those of the Guardians. Maybe he's found something out. So I think that's a fantastic theory that maybe he's losing his power. Maybe there is a plateau of his superheroics for his race that once his son has powers that maybe they transfer and now, you know, he's starting to become mortal and maybe that plays into, well, that you really are incredible. invincible, you know, <laughs> that would be incredible. Yeah. That your genes get passed on. And maybe that's why he didn't want his son to have those powers of his race is that that's part of the history. If you pass those genes along, then you eventually start, diminishing while your your offspring increase so interesting there so i like your thinking i like where you're going with that at the pentagon the guard is handing out thursday's dinner chicken pot pie there's this shadowy figure that looks on in the control booth as this is happening as the guard is passing out the dinner to the mahler twins from the first episode the shadowy figure manipulates the door of one of the twins allowing him to escape and breaks out his, uh, he breaks out his clone. And I thought, you know, just as a, as a funny moment, the thing with the hand where he's trying to use the knocked out guard's hand to, to open the door with his palm and stuff like that. I thought that was great. And then he does it again when he's trying to break his clone out by like saying, what you, I can't hear you. What'd you say where he's putting the, <laughs> putting the guard's hand behind his ear. And so they finally get, get busted out then this, again, shadowy figure uh, gives them access to a ladder where they escape to the surface. And I was like, what is happening here? This is this is a lot of fun because I'd forgotten about the Mahler twins, but everything that takes place is more of that surprise because once they get to the surface, this giant machine starts shooting at them and one of the Mahler twins basically uses the other one as a shield. And he's like, yep, I'm escaping now. And we're left with 
the revelation that the shadowy figure is actually a robot. Yeah, this was great. I, this was really fun and interesting. I love the way it plays out as well. I like the banter between the Mahler twins about which one is the clone still arguing about that and how that plays out in the one using the shield. And he's like, ultimately says, it's fine. I can make another one of you. <laughs> I was like, that's brutal. <laughs> he turns him into like Swiss cheese. Yeah. Uh, that drone just destroys it. The, the, also the hand part I thought was really well animated and fun. The way that he has to flop Pete's hand multiple yeah. times to get it to slap the right way onto the yeah. thing. <laughs> Again, the details in this show where I, I, I would have seen so many things that I imagined, you know, they would just grab the arm and they would just put it there as if it was a perfect thing. But this one takes into account the realism of you. You can't see it accurately. You're reaching through a door and a hole in a door and you're trying to find it and make it work. It just feels natural. And then the way he like holds the arm up, it's all floppy. And the fact that he apologizes to him, it's all really just so much fun. And yeah, that meeting weird meeting between Cecil and robot at the end of that sequence it's like, what is going on and why yeah. are they trying to test the new Guardians of the Globe? Is that the goal here? Are they going to be trying to pull out Omni-Man for some purpose? Are they, they have some sort of sinister goal in mind? I haven't gotten that vibe from them yet, but, you know, Cecil has been against Damien Darkblood poking around for some reason as well. So who knows what's going on? Okay, so maybe we're seeing something different. This is interesting. Did you think that Cecil knew that Robot did everything that he did? Like, do you think he was in on it? I think he could be. Okay, because my vibe that I got was that Robot's doing this nefarious thing on his own. And then when Cecil comes in and says, everything good, and he's like, yes, everything's fine. I didn't pick up on the fact that Cecil maybe had given him an order to let the Mahler twins out or to do all the stuff that we had just seen. I thought that Robot might be working on his own, but it sounds like your theory is that Cecil is in on this, that they're working together to do one, you know, one of those mysterious things that you talked about. So that's, I don't know. That's I don't a, have a theory. I really don't have a theory. I, <laughs> I just, I see the actions of several of these characters as being, I'm uncertain at this point, which I really am enjoying. It's yeah. not to me cut and dried why people are doing what they're doing. Right. Well, the credits roll. And of course we get a mid credit scene that we did. Like, in the, I guess this is what's going to happen in every episode. We got it in this first two episodes. So why not a third one, but Debbie's she's at home and she's interrupted by your boy, Damien dark blood. Hence the, oh, you know, loved the, it. the, the cold air. He's still looking for clues. It's another kind of angle of the story. And I think that, as you mentioned before, he's trying to get to the bottom of something that both Nolan and Cecil are not wanting. And I think that what I like about this is that neither of them, neither Nolan or Cecil, want him to be snooping around for different reasons. Like that's my, th that's one of my working theories is that there's so much going on that Cecil's gotten an alternative agenda. Uh, Nolan has an alternate agenda and Damien is sort of in the middle of this trying to figure stuff out. And so if he finds out what's going on, like all hell's going to break loose in multiple ways for multiple people. Yep. Uh, yeah, we're building to something. I mean, you know, like any good show, 
we've got a very good balance of mystery of action and of this home-based drama regular old people life issues of dating and relationships and growing up and coming of age type tropes and it's it's been a lot of fun so far how many episodes are in this season do you know like how it's eight it's eight, eight. okay so it'll move pretty quick then we shouldn't it won't be dragged out a huge amount of time because it's got no it's good no we're uh, our next episode will be halfway through well speaking of next time that's going to do it for us and next week we're going to be talking about episode four entitled neil armstrong eat your heart out we get some interplanetary adventures based off the synopsis so i'm really excited about that and and i I gotta just kind of echo what you're saying aaron i love the mystery that's being set up here i love all the open threads that we have the fact that there's a second season i imagine that some of those threads will be tied off but others will stay open so i'm really looking forward to what we've got coming up and hopefully the you know the season just keeps kind of getting better i look at the imdb ratings just sort of as a as a trend the fourth episode's a little bit lower, but then the one after that, like the fifth one, goes up to like a 9.1 from like a 7.8 from, from episode four. So I love that kind of thing. Like, okay, these have all been good and they're sitting at like 8.4, 8.9. So I expect a little bit of a drop off, but not much at 7.8. And then I expect to get really excited with episode five. So this will be a lot of fun. Yeah, I hope we get Alan the alien if we're going back to space. In small doses, of course. But yes, uh, Alan's Alan's going to be good fodder for, for that. Maybe he and Rex can hang out for a little bit. Rex, he and Rex Blood can become buddies or something to see how they, how they work together. All right. Well, that's going to wrap up this episode of an original series. Thank you, everyone, for joining this conversation. I'm Patch. He's Aaron, and we are out of here.